0: How about if I just start at the beginning?
1: (laughs) You can can be honest. (laughs) You know what? They have the sweat equity that went into that memory that they're making with their friends and family. And that's what's important with us, and that's what the I Am Real World about. Well, that's a great question. You know,
0: one of the best things about a spring food plot is you get a second chance if it fails. Chasing Giants with Don Higgins, brought to you by buyafarm.com, your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. By tapping into Don's years of experience, dedication, and commitment, Chasing Giants focuses on the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails.
1: Now, here is Don and co-host Terry Peer. Welcome, everybody, March 22nd. I believe, March 22nd, Chasing Giants episode 18, Don Higgins. Uh, the news is filled with coronavirus, buddy.
0: That's all we're hearing about these days. And, you know, it's funny how fast this happened because, what was it, just a week or so ago, we was at the, uh, my first Whitetail Master Course. And it was a top topic, but not really much of a topic, you know. Um, but, boy, things have really exploded since then.
1: Right, I know um, Illinois and I believe Ohio and Pennsylvania are now basically stay in your house unless you're going to the grocery store, a medical emergency, or um, taking care of an elderly person. And Kentucky, I think t- tonight they shut down non-essential retail, so I think we'll probably be in the same boat as you uh, by tomorrow or the day after if if it keeps up going. But um, I mean, it's um, it's definitely put a lot of people in hurt and uh, a lot of businesses are hurting. A lot of people are hurting, but, um, I will be honest with you. I've never had this much free time in the spring in my life.
0: Yeah. With every, uh, negative, there's a positive and, you know, the positive is going to be the free time we've got to, to do some things that, uh, we normally don't have time to do. Um, not time with family is definitely one of those things that, uh, we're gonna have a lot more time to spend with our families, but uh, time in the woods, preparing for next season, getting those spring food plots in, um, gonna have plenty of time for that. Just today, I was out on my property and I was doing a, a walk through looking for shed antlers, but at the same time, I had my uh, iPhone out taking notes of different little projects that I want to get done this spring. So. You know, I got several notes on my phone where I can go back and, and uh, get those done. And
1: um, I'm going to be more prepared this fall than I've been in a long time. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we walked part of the farm uh, last weekend at your master class. And the pictures that you posted on social media of uh, your sanctuary where you cut a lot of the, the scrap timber in there, you left the stuff that was worth something, but... Um, to cut that canopy out and for your undergrowth it the pictures do not do it justice i mean i'm i've been in there several times and holy cow you cannot see i don't know maybe 20 yards down the hill to the creek from the top and uh you you put in a lot of hours into that yeah you know i was in there yesterday again spraying the stumps you know i
0: don't want those locusts especially those thorny locusts to come back and once you cut them, you cut one tree, and those roots will sprout back about ten more trees if you don't kill them. So, I was in there crawling through that stuff yesterday with a sprayer and spraying those stumps. And um, oh, I'm telling you, that place is going to be fantastic. Get the, the summer sun in there for just one season, and come fall, it's going to be thicker than it's been in a long time. So yeah, it, it that's just one. It won't
1: take long and that that, that little hill there and the, that side of the sanctuary will be a jungle.
0: Yeah, it's definitely going to change it for sure. And, and then I got in there with my skid loader also and I moved some of them fallen trees to the yep. side to create some travel routes right where I want them past my stands. Uh, once it starts to green up, I'm going to drive my ATV with a single nozzle sprayer on the back right uh, down those cleared paths so I can direct those that deer traffic get them started now and they'll keep the trails open for years to come. Nice. And I can lead them deer right past me. Yep.
1: So what other so, uh, what other kind of little odds and ends projects outside of I, I know that um I know that we were talking about uh one of the double sets that you and I hunted last year when we were going after the fork-time buck in early October. Um you're going to move that tree Uh, probably what about 12 yards where those stands are what other little projects besides moving that I'm putting lone wolves in that uh in that stand do you got on your radar
0: well I've got a couple
1: of uh, native grass fields back when years ago
0: before real world even existed I was doing some testing on different uh, specific varieties of taller native grasses and uh, you know some of those were not that good they just don't stand that well in the winter and don't get that tall so I've got a couple of those plots that I'm going to burn off as soon as possible and then when they green up I'm going to spray them and then replant them with real world switchgrass and also plant some miscanthus uh, around the edge of those fields um, create some more bedding cover I'm really working to enhance the bedding cover across the entire property and I've got some, some tree stand work. Uh, you mentioned the one's going to be moved about 10, 15 yards from where it is now. And I've got another one that's going to be moved about 20 yards or so. And then a couple of, uh, stands that have been in the trees for, I don't know, several years. I need to, uh, take them down and, uh, put new stands up and, you know, just make sure that they're safe. So I got some of that stuff to do. Um, Several years ago, I planted several trees that I used in plastic tube shelters
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, the, the trees are, are big enough now that I need to cut those tubes off of the trees and, uh, you know, gather that kind of stuff up so it's not just trash laying everywhere, but just a lot of little odds and end projects like that. That sounds um,
1: like the perfect isolation to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I won't have anybody help me. It'll be me all alone back in the brush. So, uh, I don't see anybody giving me the coronavirus or me giving it to anyone else either, but I can't wait to get it done. I've got a plan in place, uh, with some of these projects, um, that I'm going to be doing over the next two years. And I want to make my place twice as good as it is now for growing mature bucks. And you know it's pretty good at the moment, but there's just a few things that uh, I've picked up on in recent years as far as the management and the things, but also the habitat that right.
1: uh, I think I can make it even better. Yeah, and we've we've talked about that sometimes before. I know it was a topic in your master class, and you read a, I believe you wrote an article at one point about making a, st- a good stand a great stand. And I think we're yep. b- we're both kind of in that process with both of our properties. Um, I was on mine yesterday I didn't go out there today but I went out there yesterday and um, you know I have a I have a long ridge um, that falls to a holler on each side all woods and basically the woods are in the holler all the way around and makes a big u-shape and the ridge is about 600 yards long and you know that one property that I hunt in Illinois that you know where you have Really thick bedding, then an open timber, and then really thick bedding or woods again. Um, there's one area on this property that is big open. It almost looks like your sanctuary did last year. Just big, huge timber. Um, you know, it's it. It probably needs to be logged at some point. Um, maybe a little bit later in my life, or my kids can do it. But um, where it's just an open transition area. it's right on this knoll. The turkeys and deer use it to feed on acorns a lot. But I had three big oak trees fall in there um, this, I guess, in the last probably 10 months. So we went back there uh, Saturday, and a friend of mine has a sawmill and has one of those, I don't even know what you call it. It it runs off hydraulic on the back of the tractor. It's a big winch that pulls uh, trees since I actually have time, we're, I'm not coaching softball right now, next week we're going to go in and actually, before I put the food plots in and everything, we're going to pull those trees um, up over the hill a little bit. I'm going to go ahead. I got, I talked about it last podcast. I got a couple Widowmaker uh, old ash trees right on the edge of the alfalfa field. Um, I'm going to go ahead and drop those and just haul everything. Since I have that skidding winch, I'm just going to haul everything to the front of a farm, put it up behind the barn, Um, obviously I'll limb everything in the, in the, in the woods. But um, one of the big things I want to do is get that wood out of there and I can make two of the trees I want to fall, fall in a way that the deer can't get through at a point where they can come in behind me. So like you just talked about with your skid loader, pushing those trails up, I'm going to actually drop a couple big trees and leave the tops to kind of funnel them around the opposite side so they can't come in from behind me. So Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for this, uh, this coronavirus shutting everything down, I would not have time to do this. And, um, so who knows, it might, might keep us locked down enough. I can actually take them to the sawmill and mill them up. I don't know. So we'll see.
0: Well, if, uh, you know, most hunters are going to have more time to prepare this year than ever before. So, um, you know, I always say don't make excuses, look for solutions. Right. But How uh, many, how many no times have we sat down.
1: in a tree stand and said, I wish I would have had time to do this? Yep. You know, uh, you know I wish I would have had time to go in and trim shooting lanes in March or April. How many times have, I wish I could have dropped that tree or I wish I would have had time to put a clover, you know, a quarter acre clover plot um, around the perimeter of my bean field or something like that. I mean, that's that's easy pickings right now for just a little bit of manual labor and everybody's got time. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm going to take full advantage, and, you know, in a couple of days, one guy by himself can get a lot done, but if, you know, you take your kids or hunting buddy or whoever to the woods with you to help, you can get a lot done in a day. Yeah. So, you know, I'm looking forward to it, really. It's just going to transform my place and make it even better, so. Well, there is,
1: I know neither one of us are turkey hunters, and I absolutely despise turkeys, so. Hopefully, if there's another good thing that could come out of this, the entire turkey hunting nation will be out there killing turkeys for me this year. So, yeah. I, I hope there is a absolute record harvest of turkeys because, <laughs> man, they wear me out. Well, I'm lucky I don't have any
0: on my home farm, so I don't have to deal with them. You know, tearing up my food plots and such. But uh, I got pheasants here galore. And believe it or not, the pheasants can be hard on my plots. Yeah. But not much I can do about it. I don't hunt them because hunting season's in the fall and I don't want to stomp through my bedding cover to flush those pheasants. So I just kind of deal with it and let nature take its course. But uh,
1: I know one of our out of state guys, when we were walking your property in the master class, um, I'm not sure where we were at but he was walking along, and he about stepped on one, and it flew up almost between his legs, and he did not know what it was. (laughs) (laughs) I think you were on up, and I was bringing up the rear, keeping everybody in the group, and uh, I think he about pooped his pants. He he didn't know what in the world just flew up between his legs, but he about stepped on that one. (laughs) Well, they'll give you a rush and make your heart
0: beat, that's for sure.
1: So what else I know you that you dabble and and talk to our friends at buyfarm.com and and are connected, you know, by being a, an agent or a broker. Um what what is the talk of those guys when we get into a situation like we are now where obviously a lot of people are losing money in the stock market and their 401k's? Um, is real estate selling right now? Is people rushing to do it? Should people be looking at it if they have cash? What, what is your connections telling us in that, in that industry?
0: Well, interesting enough, I talked to two different uh, real estate brokers from, from two different companies this week about this, and uh, they had two conflicting stories. The one says sales have not slowed down one bit. Uh, the other one says they have a little bit, but they, they haven't crashed by any means. Um, the, the interesting thing that I took from, from both conversations is both guys think that uh, the land prices, once this is all, we're, we're through this coronavirus situation and the economy gets back on track, both guys think land prices are going to increase and demand is going to increase. And their reasoning was that people, this this stock market crash, have given people a reality check. And they realize how volatile investing in the stock market can be where land is more stable. And some of these people with the the extra cash or whatever finances to be able to do so, they can invest in, in land, and whether it be recreation property or farm property, and they know that investment's pretty safe, no matter what happens. Um, there's only so point. much land. There, there's not going to be any more land made. So what's there is what's there. And you know, it, it's a it's a really safe investment. So both of these guys from two different real estate companies both think that uh, as soon as the the uh, economy's back on track, the demand and the and the price is, is going to increase for, for land. So. You know, right now, for those people that invest in the stock market, right now is a great time to get in. The prices are low. Get in now. Uh, when things recover, they'll go back up, and that's when you'll make your money. Um, it, it could be the same with land. You know, now might be the time to buy, knowing that in the future, the demand is going to be greater, and the price is very likely to increase.
1: Well, I think that, you know, uh, we joke about it, that there's there's two things in life that will never lose money, and that's that's land and guns and um you know especially the direction that you know things are going in our world you know the prices and the availability of firearms are probably get get uh harder and ammunition you know you see here people of you know stockpiling up and that kind of stuff and but um but land's a little bit different story and i agree with you 100 um, percent from an economist standpoint Um, which I try to, I'm by no means an expert, but we do have to dabble in it quite a bit with, with, um, my day job, but, um, especially for people a little bit later in life where they, they want to get a return or at least hold their value. Um, you know, land is really ideal. Um, you know, we, you don't want to be maybe 58 to 62 years old and be within 10 years of retirement and, you know risking what happened in the last three months and losing a big part of it where a land purchase, you know, you're going to be stable with that.
0: Right. And you also got to consider that most land is going to return or going to provide some sort of return on that investment. Uh, If there's tillable acres, you know, that can be cash rented to a farmer. Uh, If there's timber, there's going to be a timber harvest about every 25 years or so. Um, CRP is another option for income. So it's not like you just go buy a piece of land and pay taxes on it every year. And, and you know that you don't get anything back out of it till the day you sell it. Um, there, there's all kinds of potential ways uh, to make income from your investment in
1: land. But I, I guess, I guess, you know, before we move on, I think, I think this whole situation, you know, none of us saw it coming. None of us, really thought it was going to be as bad as what it was it is and we all have our opinion of how bad it really is in reality versus what they're making it but we've talked about it with ehd we've talked about it with drought you have to look for opportunities to improve or be better in every situation and um, there's a lot of people that's going to be hurting financially through this but at the same time there's also things that you can do as an outdoorsman as a hunter I think to, um, to take advantage of what's going on. And I think that's what we're basically talking about.
0: Yeah. And you know, earlier I wrote a uh, social media post that uh, was posted on the real world social media this afternoon. And basically, you know, a lot of times when there's a a negative situation, there's also a positive opportunity there. And one thing I mentioned was back in 2012 when, We had the bad EHD outbreak across the Midwest, and it wiped out our our deer herd in a lot of areas. Uh, The next spring, the spring of 2013, I went on a tree planting binge on my property and planted a lot of trees. And the reason for it was up until that point, um, the deer herd was so great that if I planted trees, they got browsed so hard by the deer But when we lost over 75% of the deer herd, that was an opportunity for me to get in there and get those trees planted, and the browse pressure on them was not near as bad. Um, So, you know, the stock market takes a big hit. That's an opportunity. It's a negative, but there's also a positive opportunity there. Um, the, The coronavirus, you know, shutting down everything. Well, it shuts down everything. That's a negative, absolutely, for sure. The positive is we've got free time to do some things we haven't had time to do in the past. So, you know, as a deer hunter and as a person, as a business person, I, I'm always looking for the positive in any negative situation. And deer hunters have one right now; they'll just take advantage of it.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's a good, it's a chance to get your stands up. Um, you know, Don's going to be planting uh, or uh, working with his young trees and planting a switchgrass. I'm going to be um, pulling some, uh, big timber up out of the woods and trying to get some travel corridors, uh, coming out into the food plot. So look for those opportunities you can when normally none of us have time. So, um, why don't we just go ahead since we, since we kind of kicked it off a little bit with the real estate question, I'm assuming farm has got a property for us to talk about this week. Is that right? Yep. They Uh, sure do. All right. Let's go to the BuyFarm.com property of the week.
0: BuyAFarm.com is your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. Now, here is Don Higgins with this week's featured property. All right, this week's featured property is actually an online option for 112 acres in Union County, Illinois. It's it's located near Macanda, Illinois. This 112 acres has about 65 acres in pasture and hayland. Uh, This would be fantastic for food plots. I was all over uh, the photos on the website and such this afternoon looking this over. Uh, There are all kinds of places for food plots where you could uh, put some of that into CRP, plant switchgrass, and just basically lay this property out fantastic. Um, So the remaining acres, it would be wooded. Uh, There's a two-acre lake and, and four smaller ponds on the property. Good deer, turkey, and waterfowl hunting in the area. Um, one thing that's, that's really nice about this property, there's a 60 by 40 pole barn with living quarters. And I'm telling you, this is a really nice building. It looks it's almost brand new. Uh, you should go on the website and take a look at that. Um, if you wanted to, to use this site for building a, a home or whatever, there's real water. Uh, runs right by the property. So you could do that easy enough. Um, you know, I built a pole building myself a few years ago and based on what I know about the cost to do it, I I'm guessing this, this building is probably at least a hundred thousand dollar building. Um, the bidding on this closes Friday, May 8th at eight o'clock PM. Um, but when I look today, there currently was not a bid yet. It's just open. So, uh, at this point, nobody's bid yet. The bid starts at eighteen hundred dollars an acre. Uh, so I was, I got the calculator out, and was doing the math, and, and if you could get it bought for eighteen hundred an acre, you would be looking at right around uh, two hundred thousand dollars for that hundred and twelve acres. Um, and you figure that building on there cost a hundred thousand, so you're only going to have about another hundred thousand in all that land. And so it's definitely, uh, it looks like a good value. Um, if you're interested in this uh, property, I, I just go to the biofarm uh, website and look for the online option for one hundred and twelve acres in Union County. Uh, if you'd like a showing of the property or more information, co-agent Don Bailey. Uh, Don's phone number is 618-919-1031. And uh, I'm sure Don could uh, fill you in and be glad to uh, to show you. The, the property, if you want to tour it before bidding or whatever, but a uh, pretty unique piece of ground.
1: Well, I've never done this, but I actually went to buy a farm.com uh, website and found uh-huh. it. I just searched union County and it was right there. And, uh, I, I wouldn't, I don't know, maybe it's the Kentucky redneck in me, but I wouldn't consider this place having a pole barn on it. This looks like one of the nice pole barn houses with a two car garage <laughs> that building, that building on that property is nice. Oh, oh it's real nice. It's got that over Wrap around porch. porch yep. Yeah. yeah, very and, weird
0: uh, nice. You know, roll-up doors, not not the sliding doors like you'd expect on the pole building, but it's got roll-up doors, concrete floor. It's got bathroom in it and everything, living quarters. I mean, if you was looking for a hunting camp, you're, you're set up. You've got the camp. You've That's got the, place you to park the tractor or whatever uh you got ponds you've got everything you need right there right now without doing anything
1: couple of the pictures um, in here down in the woods show good timber on it so I'm not sure what um need to check that out too but um nice woods big ravines drainage looks like a creek through it it's a nice looking property especially at that price
0: exactly the the price is what I couldn't believe I went to uh, the bed to see what the bid history was it's it uh, hadn't been open for bids in too long, but there's not a bid yet. If, if somebody would end up getting that for around the $1,800, eighteen hundred, two thousand uh, an acre range, that, that'd be a, quite a deal. And you know, we just talked about when this market comes back, land prices are going to probably go up. It certainly looks like that's what uh, some of the experts seem to think. Um, now might be the time if you, if you got some money sitting around to uh, to get you a property. Take a look at
1: this one. Yeah, I'm jealous of that garage or pole barn. I need yeah, one I wish that. I had one like that at my place. I need one of them at mine.
0: Yeah. All right, so what we got cooking next here? Well, we've got some submitted questions, as always.
1: All right. Um, well, we don't have a live audience. I'll be honest with you. I was, I was uh, a little nervous last week with everybody just walking up to the mic and putting us on the spot in front of that big of a crowd, but it was fun. We got some good laughs in. Yeah,
0: you never knew what you was going to be asked about it. Could have been anything under the sun. So
1: I think you've done that before at like seminars and stuff, haven't you? Well, yeah. Whenever I
0: take questions at seminars, it's not recorded usually, but right. uh, you never know what the next question is
1: going to be. Yeah. So what's our All what's right. our first one tonight? Our first one comes from John Dockendorf from Gray
0: Eagle, Minnesota. And John says, is it possible to create so much bedding on your property that you create a doe fawning area in which too many of the mature does would drive out your mature bucks? If that is the case, will those mature bucks return to your property later in October through the breeding season? Well, (laughs) there's a reason I picked John's question. And uh, it kind of is going to relate to the next question as well. I think that there is so much misinformation, and I've probably talked about it before. I'm sure I have. There's, there's so much misinformation on the Internet that uh, it's just I, I've never seen it in reality. Um, on my property, for example, John says, is it, is it possible to create so much bedding on your property that you create a doe fawning area? in which too many of the mature does would drive out your mature bucks. And Terry, you spent a lot of time on my place. The bucks, the mature bucks are there. The does are there. What what I see is that uh, during the summer months, I, I probably got the best habitat in, in my area with all that uh, good bedding cover, but also with the food sources nearby, you know, that I provide that in the, uh, late spring, summer months, um, there are a lot of does raising their fawns on my place, not as many bucks. There's, there's Occasionally, I get to see some bucks in the summer, or get their picture on trail camera, but, you know, as soon as those bucks shed their velvet and those bachelor groups start to break up, they, they show up here. And by the time our, our hunting season opens on October 1st, I've still got those does that raise their fawns here, but I've also got a ton of bucks and I, and some mature ones. In fact, uh, the very first hunt last season, Terry, you and I in the was October 3rd. I didn't hunt the first two days because it was so hot. Uh, but October 3rd, you know, we seen a mature buck uh, that day. And then on the 4th, you and I seen a mature buck that day too. And I don't remember the following. But, uh, you know, they, but those mature bucks are here from day one. And I don't understand some of this stuff on the Internet. I think some people just try to complicate things. Um, so you look to them for the answers. And I much prefer to simplify things. Uh, just tell it the way I see it and and not complicate it. And I, killing mature deer is not that hard. And, and we can make it a lot harder than it really is.
1: Well, that might be why we get along so good, because I'm not smart and you keep it simple. <laughs> but... Well- I don't have a
0: choice. I have to keep it simple because I'm simple. So, so
1: let me yeah. let me break it down to this Kentucky redneck style a little bit, okay? My theory in life on it is I want as many deer on my property as I can at all times, period. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, I, I don't get into all of this. Somewhere along the line, somebody's tried to write a book, done a consultant, done a seminar, where they had to come up with some little whiz-bang idea, uh, theory, or something that nobody had ever talked about in order to sell something. And that's where you get the conversations of this switch grass or this woods is too thick. You have to clean it out or you can have too many or you won't hold more than one mature buck for every 14 acres. That's all garbage. Make your, my, my, my goal in (laughs) life is to make my property hold as many deer (laughs) at any time possible. And the rest of it, It'll figure itself out if they if you have everything that deer needs on your property and you don't go in and mess with it and bump them out of there and pressure them, they'll be there.
0: Yeah, and the thing of it is, Terry, you and I are not talking in terms of theories or ideas we dreamed up last night. Um, it's from real world experience. It's what we've seen on the properties we've hunted and managed, you know, for the past however many decades. Um, when, when we share information, we've seen that firsthand. We didn't read it on the internet yesterday. We, we, we've lived it. And, and I'm telling you, 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 this garbage of thinking that you can't have more than one mature buck on, on a property and they won't bed together and your does a bit separate than your bucks and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. At times it might be true, but I'm telling you what, it's not true all the time is there way too many examples is there
1: somebody's gonna somebody's gonna send us an email or make a social media post well i saw this one what deer i believe to be a five-year-old and it ran off a four-year-old or an aggressive four-year-old it 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 ran off during yeah i mean it's gonna happen but i i guess i just i don't try to overthink it if if i can create an environment to where my property stands out from every other property there. I have the food plot diversity, I have the bedding, I have the water, and that everything around me is going to get pressure. And I don't pressure mine; those deer are going to come find me. And yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I killed T three is a six and a half year old on a thirty three acre piece of property, and watched him for three years. There was a very good chance that the neighbor would shoot him. It happens, right? That's part of not, neither one of us have thousands of acres that we're managing. But the bottom line is I didn't pressure that farm and he stayed there. And you can, it's when you really strip it down and make it easier and don't overthink it, at least when I did, I became a whole lot more successful killing deer four and a half and older. And and the yeah. the baloney that I hear people saying, I can set in any of the tree stands or any of the blinds on your property or even my property and see the amount of deer that comes out and see the amount of bucks that comes out. It, it's it's just garbage. Somebody somebody's trying to sell something somewhere that some of these ideas come from.
0: Well, you know, it, it's almost like uh, it's similar to. Some of these gadgets that are being sold to hunters, everybody's looking for the quick fix, and they'll spend money buying all this, all these gadgets and trinkets, and you know this, some of the wildest products you've ever dreamed up, and yet people buy them. And I was just saying the other day to one of my consulting clients that, uh, you know, the most important thing when it comes to managing a property, whether you own it or whether you just hunt it. The, the the most important thing does not cost you a penny, and it does not take one minute of your time. The most important thing on a property is freedom of human intrusion. That's right. You got to stay the heck out of it. You stay out of it. It doesn't cost you a penny. And it doesn't cost you a minute of your time. Stay out. If you if you stay out, the deer will be there, and it's going to be the the more you pressure it, the less the deer are going to be there. It's in. You know specific ratios to each other. The more human intrusion, the less deer. Well, less I don't. Human I don't want the more.
1: I don't want John to think we're implying that he's in this case by asking the question. We'd rather somebody ask right. a question to. So you know we, we don't we don't mean to imply this to John, but I just right. feel there's a lot of guys that are over analyzing the buck to doe ratio, or they're over analyzing culling, or they're over analyzing, um, you know fawning areas and holding mature deer but yet they're driving four-wheelers through their property all the time or they're you know using it as a recreation farm instead of uh, a property that they're managing for mature bucks so Mm -hmm. you know they they get they get hung up on all of this other stuff that is so far out of everybody's control and they're missing the one thing that's like slipping right through their fingertips and that's just the discipline to, to do what they need to do in order to have a big buck on his feet in daylight so you can shoot him. And that's no well, uh, pressure.
0: The sad thing is that a, a lot of these people that are supposed to be experts are pushing this garbage. So, you
1: know... A, but, Don, deer no, hunter. <laughs> staying out of your property doesn't sell a book. It doesn't sell... Right. It doesn't exactly sell... It, it doesn't sell to. a seminar. It doesn't sell some tree saddle. It It's... <laughs> just keep it, keep it simple people. And, and we can, we can work with, you know, giving insight to people about access points and stand locations and hunting the downwind side of bedding areas, you know, but the bottom line is, is if, if you're, if you're in there pressuring that property and walking through your sanctuary and your core, you know, I, I realize everybody's got, can't have an entire property that they can't, you know get income off of you 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 have part of your farm that's tillable i raise alfalfa on our farm for the local cattle farmer you know it's a working farm but there's still still areas and things that i've done to stay out and not go in there and like i don't know i just maybe i get a little bit too wound up on but people just spend the wrong amount of time effort and energy in completely the wrong direction They'll put thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in a property and then be mad when they don't shoot a big buck within the first two or three years, but there's four wheeler trails all over the place.
0: All right. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and read the next question because it's it relates to this one. I picked it I picked these two because they were similar. They go hand and, in uh, hand. Yeah. So the next one comes from Wes Fox, and Wes mm-hmm. is from Dickerson, Maryland. Uh, East Coast Wes Boy says, Yep. We picked questions from all over this week. Um, But Wes says, is it possible to create a buck factory on your property that holds too many young bucks two and three years old and the social stress with all the young feisty bucks keeps the mature bucks off of your property? Too many feisty three-year-old bucks living in the sanctuaries and hitting the real-world food plots makes the mature bucks go elsewhere. Keep up the great work for the podcast and real world, Wes Fox. Well, where do we begin here? Um, The term buck factory, that's one of them catchphrases that's become, you know, big on the internet, buck factory, dough factory, this and that. And it goes back to answer your question, Wes, it's, no, it's, I've never seen it. Um, why would the two and three-year-olds run off the older bucks would be my question because an older bucks can kick the little bucks' butts. So if anybody was going to get run off, it would be the young bucks getting run off. And this is just more garbage perpetrated on the Internet by wannabe experts, um, you know, with nothing to show for it. I mean, and that, that's what I keep stressing to people is take a look at the people that are pushing this information and what bucks have they ever killed? If they killed, you know, a guy killing 150 inch bucks with a rifle is going to provide very, very little information to a guy wanting to kill 170 inch bucks with his bow. Uh, there's a world of difference. Yep. Um, t- take a look at, at who's putting out the information. But, you know, on, on my property, Wes, I've seen, uh, you know, I'll have on a 120 acre property, I'll have 20 bucks here at one time. And, 20 and 20 does with their fawns, you know, so I'll have 40 or more antlerless deer here and I'll have 20 or more antlered deer. And those antler deer will be everything from year and a half olds to six year olds. And I'll have five or six bucks at least that are four years old and older. Um, I just don't see it. It comes down to human intrusion. If I, I, I don't care, a deer would rather be in a sanctuary with a hundred other deer, but no humans than he would to be by himself and have to deal with just one single human. You know, it all comes down to human intrusion and I know it don't make anybody any money, but, uh, that, that's just the fact.
1: Well, deer are the most, one of the most adaptable animals out there. And that's why, you know, some of the properties that we go and look for, everybody else would drive right by them because it might just be a fence row. You know, it might just be a little, you know, quarter acre thicket out in the middle of nowhere. Well, that's why are they there? Because people aren't there, right? So, yep. so if you break down the question and the scenario that Wes asked a little bit, the first doe that comes in heat, what's going to happen, Don? That those those bucks are jockeying for their pecking order, leading up in the pre-rut, you know. But what's going to happen as soon as that first doe? comes in heat well she's gonna have the the
0: most dominant
1: buck in the most dominant buck is gonna push her somewhere right and then and then it starts going and then that battle and then all that cruising so i mean I, i don't see any logic into having too many um two and three year olds now you might have you might have a just once in a lifetime two or three year old that you're worried that an older buck might push him off. I could see it the other way around, but I I don't see a situation where um, I'm worried about, you know, a a two year old pushing off one of my mature ones. No. And I'll even go the other direction. And I know you don't necessarily agree with this a hundred percent. This is kind of where we are different a little bit. I don't hunt rifle in Kentucky unless I take the kids. So usually during rifle season in Kentucky, I'm in Illinois hunting the rut. So I want as many does on my property at all times. I want every single little spike and yearling buck (laughs) locked down with a doe, not running around. So the more does that I have on my property, the more immature bucks aren't off chasing all over the county trying to find something hopefully saving some of those two two and three year olds that are going to run by somebody else on a rifle it's not going to pass on them so because i'm not here hunting rifle so that I, I that's why i just can't stand rifle season being in the middle of the rut but um but yeah, yeah i mean it, it goes hand in hand with john's question they're both good questions and we pre- that's what we're here to take but man i want as many deer on my property at all times as possible i, I don't care i'm I want my property to be different to where every deer within a 4-mile radius knows that that's where they need to go to get anything they want. And I think if you're managing your property right, you
0: are going to have more deer on your place than anybody in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It's not like the you're going to have all the does and young bucks and a mature buck's going to show up and say, "I don't want anything to do with this party." That no, if it's the safest place, he don't care what other deer if that's the safest place in the neighborhood, that's where he wants to be, no matter who else is there in the deer
1: Yep.
0: All right, I think we beat that horse enough. You're gonna you're going
1: you're gonna get me wrapped up on coon hunters after this, aren't you? Oh <laughs> <Well>, maybe.
0: Well, <laughs> uh, let's just move on. Next question. Bruce Nelson from Middleton, Wisconsin. Bruce asks, When planting switchgrass I've read, I've read, here we go again, Terry. I've read that it's important to have pockets with forbs, browse, etc., for daytime feeding, for switchgrass to be more effective in holding deer. What are your thoughts? You want to answer that one, Terry? Sure.
1: It's baloney. I'll let
0: you start this time. It's, <laughs> it's
1: baloney. So, so think about it this way. I'm, I'm going to put a game plan. Let's break it down like it's, It's a scouting reporter. We're trying to make a play for a football team. Uh, Why would I want a deer in his bed to stand up in an area where I don't have a chance to hunt him and eat and lay back down without coming out and then probably not coming out at all until it's after dark? So I, I want my bedding to be free of any type of food. I want it to be used as thermal cover and protection and security for those animals. The thicker the better, the bigger the better. And then I want them on their feet before daylight hours to go to a food source that I'm setting at a pinch point or an area where they're there to get a shot at it. That's what I want out of my bedding and my switchgrass. I I don't want them to be able to stand up and eat where they're at. I need them to go from where they're at to where they're going to eat that's how I have a better shot at killing them. Is that simple? That's
0: enough? a, that's a great answer. And that's exactly where I was going to go. I want my bedding totally separate from my food because I want that buck. If he gets hungry, I want him to get up and move, making him vulnerable to hunting pressure. And like you said, if all he's got to do is stand up from his bed and put his nose down and start eating, um, he's going to be a whole lot tougher to kill. um, I've seen this talked about on the internet multiple times, multiple times. Switchgrass, a monoculture of switchgrass is just too thick and blah, blah, blah. It needs to be mixed with forbs and this and that garbage. That's total garbage. I've got the thickest switchgrass I've ever seen in my life on my property. And you've seen it too, Terry. We've taken the whitetail master course students right into this stuff. And I'm talking, this stuff is so thick, you couldn't see a person standing 10 feet from you and the deer trails and the deer beds through that stuff is unbelievable. There's absolutely no way that switchgrass is too thick. If there is, I haven't seen it and I've seen a lot of switchgrass.
1: So, so I, I've apologized to Wes because sometimes we pick on Wes a little bit on the, on the show just, and the only reason we pick on him is it just tells me and Don whether he actually listens to the podcast or not. But this is this is a true story. When we shed hunted your front switchgrass field last year, his wife came along, and uh, there was I think there was probably what five of us in there, six of us in there.
0: So Something we, like that. We
1: fanned out and we started walking the trails to the switchgrass. And I don't remember who it was. I don't think it was Wes or or his wife or who it was. But somebody got freaked out and got turned around in this field. And how many acres is this field? Oh, what is it? It's about 15, I think. It's not that big, and it's even on a hillside. So you know which, if you really think about it, you know if you go down, you're going to the creek if you go up. But anyway, that's how thick this stuff was. It was up over their head, and they got twisted and turned. And, I mean, they got disoriented in which direction. They had to start yelling, and we had to yell back and forth at them. That's how big and thick this stuff is. So it's it's no wonder that it holds deer. The misconception that it's too thick that you can't, that the deer won't use it is absolute garbage. But the simple fact of it, of this question and the ones before it, is I don't want to put a food source in the middle of that. I need them to get out of that area to go to the food source. And that's where I'm going to put my ambush spot against it. But I mean, I've I've never been... Uh, I got a joke around here that we call Kentucky switchgrass, which is just an old briar patch of a grown-up pasture that you can't walk through just because you'll come out bleeding. But that that 15, 16-acre field that you have, I have personally in my life never been on anything as tall and thick as that real-world switchgrass field. And that probably holds more deer on your farm, that one field, than anywhere else on your property.
0: Yeah, and, you know, earlier in this podcast, I talked about, uh, you know, burning off, some of the uh, native grass test plots that we did back when we started real world and putting them into switchgrass the the fact of the matter is the the thicker and taller the native grass field the more deer utilize it not less the more i've seen it firsthand with multiple fields of it on my place the thicker the taller the more use it gets and that's what i want on my place forget the stinking forbs and the clovers and and crap that people tell you to put in it. People putting this garbage out, I know there's one guy in Michigan that that is a big fan of uh, hammering monocultures of switchgrass. you got to put these forms and this other stuff in garbage. Come to my whitetail master course, and I'll show you what a pure stand of switchgrass looks like and let you walk into it on the deer trails, and you tell me they don't use it.
1: Well, he's probably trying to sell a variety of switchgrass that doesn't get very tall or very thick, so he has to have food in there in order for deer to use it. That would be my well, guess.
0: Well, I, uh, I shouldn't have just – I didn't use a name, but I shouldn't have picked on one guy, but there's more than one person on the Internet promoting the idea that when you plant switchgrass, you need to have forbs and clovers and stuff. In oh, there I hear there. that.
1: Don, that's more than one place. That's you—you you, If you watch yeah. those forums on, on – on Facebook, they're on they're there every day talking about this. Yeah. So. And, and,
0: and the people talking about it, though, this is what gets me, is the people talking about it have about zero experience. And, and I've tried it both ways. I've had it both ways. And I've got it both ways on my farm right now, and I can tell you the fields they use and the ones they don't. And yeah. there's a reason I'm getting ready to replace the ones they don't use with the tall, thick stuff.
1: I think both yep. of us have gotten to the point in our career that we're sick of doing side-by-side testing. We're just going to make our properties what the best they need to be. Cause I, I'm personally, I'm just sick of testing stuff. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm using I, I, I'm using valuable acres on my property every year to test stuff and see if see just to prove other people wrong. And I feel like I'm sacrificing <laughs> certain areas on my farm Work could make my farm better. So I'm, I'm pretty much done with it. If, 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 if you and Wes want us to test varieties of something, I'll go I'll go ask somebody else to do the test for us. I'm, I'm done testing on my property.
0: Well, and I am too, to a certain degree. I've got one area that's going to be reserved right there by my shed for right. test plots. But uh, when you get into the heart of the, the deer property, and that's going to be the best stuff possible. And, you know, just like soybeans, uh, you know, I tested the forage soybeans side by side with real world soybeans for five consecutive years. And finally, it's like, you know, we was pulling tissue samples and making videos and this and that. and You know, finally, it's like, you know, why am I doing this? I'm wasting valuable plot space. I need to be providing food for my deer in the winter. That's when they need it the most. Uh, Those forage soybeans just weren't cutting it. And that's just a perfect example of wasting, uh acreage on a small property you just you don't have acreage to waste you got to maximize what you've got and uh you know i, I try to help people out. The, the advice you and i are both given here like i said before is from first-hand experience this is not something we read it's not a theory we dreamed up we've, we've done it we've actually done it and you can take whatever we say to the bank because we can we can actually prove it if we needed to
1: so, I mean, Bruce, it, it, thanks for the question because I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there. Um, but I, I challenge you to figure out how to, on your property, have bedding, that's just bedding, a diverse food source somewhere in one location and then pick a way in and out of a hunting location in between those two spots that your wind and your access, you can get in and out without busting deer. And I promise you, you will have so much more success on that property than, than anything else you could try.
0: Yeah. And I want to thank the three guys that sent their questions in that we picked this week. And there's a reason I picked these three questions is because they all basically related misinformation that I've seen on the internet and I've seen it multiple times. And, and in fact it's questions that we get quite a bit. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to, uh, to kind of pick all three of those questions because they were related. But uh, they were good questions, and, and they made uh, for some good answers, I hope. But uh, so to John, Wes, and Bruce, thanks for submitting those questions. You're going to be getting a uh, uh, Chasing Giants t-shirt. Uh, be looking for that in the mail. But, you know, Terry, in, in future podcasts, we're going to be hitting some topics that uh, uh, a lot of podcasts the way we're going to cover them uh, one of those is uh one issue we're, or one episode we're going to talk about getting into the hunting industry um you and i have experienced it from a couple of different angles um you know me as, as a member of pro staffs and, and being sponsored by companies and you as the marketing director for real world you you get all these inquiries from these people that uh you know, want to be a real world pro staff so we've seen it from two different angles we're going to share some things in that podcast and uh, as we get closer to uh you know putting those trail cameras out next summer we're going to do a an episode where we're really going to focus on the good use of trail cameras and such but uh, we want to hear from from our listeners on topics that you want us to cover and uh, we've had so many questions submitted now that I, I think it's going to be next to impossible to answer all of them. But uh, if you su- give us a topic that you want us to cover, we can probably find some related questions that have been submitted about that topic and use them as well. But you might have another idea, too, Terry, on some topics that we should be covering in upcoming episodes.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's um, we we want to be um, tangible, a tangible resource to everybody that's listening. Right. Because Don and I are having these conversations every day when we talk anyway. So, um, you know, we're trying to do this for you guys to, to get those out. So, I mean, we'll talk about anything you want, but the, um, the getting into the hunting industry, um, that's probably going to be a little bit of longer one, but I encourage you that that will be a good one because, you know, like I said, between the two of us, we pretty much have met or talked to everybody in the industry and understand how consumer buying behavior has changed over the years and what companies are looking for now is completely different than what they were looking for three years ago um, and how the business is, is continuing to change. So I, I really look forward to that one. I think that's going to be a, a great episode. Um, I've, I've actually been interviewed for a couple of other podcasts on similar things, but you just don't get to go in as deep as we do on this one, so that'll be good um but uh, we still got to get back to that culling culling bucks that's one of the ones we need to make sure it doesn't leave our list because uh before we go into hunting season next year we probably need to spend almost a whole episode on that
0: absolutely um i think that's i was just thinking about that today as i was touring my farm um i've made some huge strides on my farm since I started managing. Um, I don't know if i mentioned this in the last episode or not. I talked to so many people that, and, and do the seminars and classes and such that sometimes I forget what, I, what I've told to each audience. So if I repeat myself, I apologize. But uh, I was just thinking today as I was touring my property and taking notes on projects that I need to get done this spring that how far I've come with this property. Because when I started 25, 30 years ago, on an average season, the biggest buck that I would have on my place would be about 150 inches. And then you could just about find a 150 inch buck on my place every single season. And then about every three or four years, there would be a bigger one, you know, maybe 170 inch. They weren't there every year, but, you know, every three or four years you would get them. And I've got to the place now where there's a 170 inch deer on my place just about every single year, like the 150s used to be. And about every three to four years now, there's going to be one much bigger or, or significantly bigger than 170. Um, and, and how I got from from one from point A to point B has a lot to do with how I managed the bucks on this place. And uh, we're going to get into that culling bucks on a future episode, and it'll it's probably going to uh, go against the grain of some of the things that we've been taught. Uh, um, by some outdoor riders and other so-called experts in, in managing deer herds. But uh, well, I think it'll be an ex- interesting episode.
1: We haven't exactly fallen in line to what most of the industry says anyway on this show, but... <laughs> no. It's kind of kind of not our MO there, Don. <laughs> <laughs> we don't hold back, do
0: we? <laughs> but, well, I, I think that's what... Uh, I think we're going where people want to go we're real you know we're real this is the real world this is not the internet land it's not it's not fantasy land here um we're telling it like we see it and i believe i I honestly truly believe that the information we're putting out there is can be used by the average deer hunter to improve his success by the average land manager to better manage their property and we're making it simple we're not making it complicated
1: I think if 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 people will really strip it down and stop looking for the quick fix to buy on Amazon to let me shoot a booner and they hold some discipline, some basic principles that we talk about on here will make everyone a much better hunter and a whole lot better land manager. It's just gonna it's gonna take a little bit of patience and a whole lot of discipline.
0: And you might have to listen to me and Terry get wound up every once in a while.
1: That's all right. Yep, well, that makes it fun. Yep, as long as, as long as somebody doesn't disclose the fact that you voted for Hillary, we'll be will be fine. <laughs> I voted for <laughs> Hillary for prison.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, well, why don't you take us out on that note then? All right, we want to thank our sponsors uh,
0: that make this possible: uh, Buyafarm.com Three Hundred and Sixty Hunting Blind, Quiet Cat, Real World Wildlife Products. Vortex, Lone Wolf, and Matthews.
1: We'll check you out on episode 19. Thanks for listening, everybody.